sandwiches, ice cream, coffee and snacks, and many other pleasing treats. Our foods are fresh and tasty, our drinks satisfying and refreshing. They're so good. Welcome to Average Joe's Drive-In. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 124 of Average Joe's Drive-In. I am your host, TJ Washburn, and with me this week is my good friend Dan Fleming. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing alright on this snowy day. How are you doing? Um, yeah, I'm doing alright. I, uh, it's one of those, it's definitely like, I don't get too many snow days because usually I have to be at work when it snows. Like, I don't get them off. Uh, but this morning I started to drive in and I got to LaGrange and I just was like, this is not happening. Uh, <laughs> no, I can't, I can't even imagine. Yeah. It it's was like, it, it was almost like complete whiteout. It wasn't even that the roads themselves were awful. It was, I couldn't see them. So. <laughs> Oh, that wind was bad. Yeah, I went out and snowblowed about an hour and a half ago, and it was one of those days that no matter which direction I pointed the exhaust in, it was coming back at me. <laughs> right back in your so, face. Oh, yeah, and you're yeah. getting covered. There's nothing you can do. Yeah, it was the worst. So, yeah, I had a snow day, so I come home and promptly sat down in my chair and fell back asleep for like two hours, and then uh was going to watch a movie, and I just didn't end up really doing much. It was a, it was one of those days I puttered around the house, you know, did, uh, Mm -hmm. got a few things done, but I, my thing today was, and I think you and I had talked about this a while ago was I was going to watch, um, the shining and Dr. Sleep today, Mm -hmm. like together. Cause I figured this would have been, you know, big snowstormy day. It'd be like the perfect day. And that was my plan. And then it was just like, I'm looking at my clock and I'm like, shit, well, we're going to do the podcast at two. So I'm not really going to have time. And I, that's yeah. not one of those movies I want to like start and stop. I just want to watch no. them through. So yeah, you want to just get buried into it. So to say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I did end up doing that instead. I just was like to hell with it. I'm going to play fallout for a little while. And that's what I've done. I'm going to go and snowblow after we're done the podcast. So. <laughs> But, yeah, I'm going to go snowblow after the podcast and try to get, (laughs) you know, that as much of it done. Because hopefully it's the snow has, I hope it will have died down a little bit by then. So Yeah, it looks like now that it's just more of a a sleety garbage snow, but it's still a little bit of snow. Yeah, so that's why I was kind of hoping that way I wouldn't have to go out like five times and do it, you know, try to get it. So hopefully by morning time, I'm not buried again. Yeah, no there, kidding. There's nothing like snow blowing at three o'clock in the morning when you have to get yeah. up for work, you know, so. <laughs> I just never want to snow blow twice, but the snow plow had come by enough times now that if I didn't snow blow now, I was, I would be fighting an uphill battle in the morning. You'd be spending, yeah, you'd, you'd be putting extra work in at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. by then the end of the driveway is like four foot high and then I'm shoveling and <laughs> right. snow blowing and. Ooh, I don't want to do that shit. No, no, no. I I totally understand that. I've been there, done that many, many times, especially where I live, you know, because I'm right on the main road, basically, and where I park, mm-hmm. they just bury me. So, <laughs> the uh, so yeah, so Dan and I were just talking, like, this is a perfect day for this week, uh, this episode's subject, which Dan actually brought up, and I thought that was a great idea, is comfort food movies. 
And uh, so then it got me thinking, and I had, like, the first five or six, man, popped right in my head real quick. But then I was trying to keep my list to ten. So I then the, the last, like, four it took me a little bit because I had to decide between, like, ten or twelve more movies. Because, you know, there's a pretty good carousel of stuff, but I... I thought of it as, you know, these are my go-to movies, mm-hmm. you know, what I just want to shut my brain off type thing. and Exactly. So, you know, th- and this is, this is what I had written up is when it comes to comfort food movies, we've all got our favorites. Most often, they're a reflection of a time and a place in our lives when things were simpler or... They are just so familiar that their familiarity offers respite from whatever it is we're looking to annex from our minds. They often, they offer that warm blanket of comfort. They're a soothing, familiar voice. For me, there are certain movies I can throw on whenever I need a pick me up. Each have a story as to why they're on my list. Some provide laughs, some whisk me away and others simply offer that proverbial warm blanket I spoke of. So, in no particular order, this these are the films we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually put mine in order, so you're a slacker. Oh, mine are in order. Ah! <laughs> mine are definitely in order. <laughs> That's why I, like I said, after I got to like six, it was like, and then I ended up flipping one around and putting it up higher than it was. So it, my list ended up getting a little bit of a little bit of reworking, but I got it in anyway. So excellent. <laughs> so we want to just bounce them. See, we both got ten apiece, right? Yeah, go right ahead. You All can right. start off good, sir. It's your show. All right. So the first comfort food movie for me is 1985's Return of the Living Dead. <laughs> I knew, I knew, I knew. I, there are two that I'm like, I know those are going to be on his list. I knew that would be one. And and this is one because to me, this is like absolutely one of the funnest like horror comedies ever made. I mean, this is like, to me, this is like right up there in the holy grail of horror comedies. And it's one of those movies I can throw it on. And I've seen this movie. I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. At this point, I can almost recite everything in the movie. And it's one of those things, like, it doesn't matter when I can throw it on. Like, I still am so engaged with this film. After It just offers that, you know, as I said, that proverbial comfort, you know, comfy blanket warms me up. I can throw this on any time of the year, any season, and it's always an enjoyable film for me. I think it's just, it holds up. It's got, uh, it's funny. It's shot well. I mean, there's, uh, the effects are pretty badass through most of it. Some of them are a little cheesy. Um, but there's just all those things, like even the characters, even though that some of them are kind of assholes, you still like them. It's weird, you know? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's just one of those, it's one of those films, man. I know a lot of people that wouldn't think of a horror movie as a comfort food film, but, um, for horror nerds, there's definitely, you, you know, I'm not going to watch uh, Cannibal Holocaust as a comfort food movie, 
God, uh, I would hope not. <laughs> I, I need something light and breezy. Let's throw on Cannibal Holocaust. You know, <laughs> it's just so the, even as a horror junkie, there's like a limit to there's a few films that I, as you'll see, that will be on my list that fall into that realm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, surprisingly, this is a bit of a spoiler. I have zero horror movies oh, on wow. my list. Uh, Shining was close to making it. Shining was close. Um, but yeah, no. Um, I, w- I was just as stunned at the end of the list. I'm like, huh, not a single horror movie on there. Uh, but my number 10 is, um, from 1999. It is the Paul Thomas Anderson epic Magnolia. Um, This came out at a time when I was working at a video store. I was watching movies all the damn time. And, I mean, his previous film, Boogie Nights, came awfully, awfully close to making this list. But just something about that double cassette of Magnolia (laughs) was... And that's kind of going to be a theme here on a couple of these movies. Um, If I just... It, it didn't hurt that a lot of my comfort films are films that I often choose to go to sleep to at right, night. Right. And back then, when you know, too poor to have cable, uh, DVDs were really just starting to be a thing. I had my box of VHS tapes, and having a double cassette was just like, oh yeah, I can fall asleep one night to tape one, fall asleep the next night to tape two, repeat the process. Yeah. You know that way I'm not starting and watching the same 10 minutes of the movie every time. Right, right, right. Um, but that film, it's just, it, it's so epic in story without being epic in scope. It all pretty much takes place within, like, one part of Los Angeles. But it, it just weaves the story of, God, at least 10 to 12 different characters and how they're all, all their lives are tied in. And unlike Boogie Nights, I leave that movie feeling a little happier. Um, make no mistake, Magnolia puts you through the fucking ringer. Um, but it also gives you, you know, Tom Cruise telling you to tame the cunt and women will be a slave to the cock, which (laughs) is about as against type (laughs) as Tom Cruise is ever going to be cast. Uh, Right. He's, he's pretty, you know, crystal, like squeaky clean when it comes to his image. Other than, you know, the whole Scientology bullshit. Right. But, yeah, my number 10 is Magnolia, just because it gives you amazing performances. Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, Philip Baker Hall, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, John C. Riley, uh, so, a great score by um, Amy Mann, who provides all kinds of original songs for it. Just So it's a lot of the familiar P.T. Anderson faces. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a guy who works, especially in the early part of his career, worked with a crew yeah. and kept that crew coming back film after film after film. I'm actually, I was always kind of disappointed that this was Tom Cruise's one and done. Yeah. Because other people like Julianne Moore, you know, uh, God, I'm sorry, uh, William H. Macy, you know, so many have just popped up in film after yeah. film after film for him. Uh, I was, I was kind of hoping. I've never seen more Tom Cruise. I have never seen Magnolia. Um, oh, I'm a I'm a huge Boogie Night fan though. Mm-hmm. Boogie Boogie Nights is awesome. Actually, I just was uh, 
staring at my VHS copy of that the other night, thinking I should pro- throw that on because it's been quite a while since I've well, seen it. Again, in a, in a little bit of kismet, today would not be a bad day for it because today is, I think, the third year anniversary of um, Michael, I mean, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's death. Oh, wow. That would be so, kind of serendipitous to throw it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just noticed that on my Facebook memories reminded me of it today. Oh, wow. So I was like, oh, shit, well, I'm talking about him today. So, yeah, number 10, Magnolia. All right. Number nine for me is another horror comedy. Um, <laughs> and that is 2010's Tucker and Dale versus Evil. <laughs> um, out of films that have come out in the last 10 to 15 years, this is one of my favorites, hands down. Like, I, this, again, like Return of the Living Dead. Although I haven't watched this nearly as much as that, um, you know, I, I've still probably seen this movie like 15 times. I watch it once or twice a year. It's just one of those movies. It makes me happy every time that I put this on because Alan Tudyk is amazing and Tyler mm-hmm. Levin is awesome in this and just the, you know, the cast of the kids, they're so, they're playing, uh, the trope to the hilt of the dumb college kid thing, just, you Mm -hmm. know, right to just so over the top that it's awesome, like in a fun way. And that movie just like, it, it just makes me laugh and it makes me smile every time. So this is one of those movies like, you know, I think a comfort movie, if I'm kind of bummed out about something or I just need a pick me up, this is one of those movies that I will throw on. Because, you know, for, for me, for each each one of these movies, some of them serve a different purpose for different things for me as far as, like, you know, whether, as I'll, I'll explain as we go through them. But, yeah, I mean, I love that movie. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it several times as well. Oh, yeah. And I keep hoping we get a part two to this, but. They keep saying it. They keep saying we're going to eventually get one, but uh, I don't know. It's not like the budget was that high. It's, I mean, Alan Tudyk, I guess, just started showing on it. He just started starring in a new TV show, but it's not like he's so in demand that you can't get him. Yeah. So, yeah, let's, let's make this happen. God, you know, if I were to come into like $20 million, I'd give them 10 to make the next one. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Oh yeah, I think it it, it would be awesome. Uh, it just mm-hmm. it's just such a like I said, such a great movie. It's like Evil Dead meets a slasher in a lighthearted comedy sort of way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it, it's <laughs> the cabin in the woods that isn't the cabin in the woods, you know. Oh yeah, 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 um, yeah. So that's my number nine. All right, well we're gonna go from the cabin in the woods to the shores of New Jersey where I bring you, I believe it was 1997's Kevin Smith classic, Chasing Amy. Oh, good move. Um, this was another one that, I mean, another director that I could have honestly taken any of his first four films and thrown on there because I was, I mean, I still am a massive Kevin Smith fan. I just wish he would make a movie that was as good as he used to make. Yeah. Um, it seems like ever since he like really kind of dove into the church of getting high and loving pot. He uh, puts out a lot of shit. Uh, there's still some fun stuff in there, like Tusk. I liked Tusk. 
Uh, Red State was still good, but uh, I w- yeah, the less said about his um, Jay and Silent Bob the Return, probably the better. See, I enjoyed uh, that. I, it, it, it was enjoyable, <laughs> but again, it's it's going up against a holy grail, you know, for me. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, and that, especially that initial trilogy of Clerk, Small Rats, and Chasing Amy. Man, I, I, those were three other tapes that were in that VHS box. And Chasing Amy felt very special to me because I had just started working at the video store when that came out. And we got, it played nowhere near Bangor. It played for like one day in Bangor. Um, so I didn't get to see it in the theater. And at Movie Gallery, we got the advanced copy cassette, like five months in advance before it actually came out. And in those five months, I probably watched that movie two or three times a week. So I, I felt like I had a little secret treasure. You know, right. I had a film. Oh, I, obviously I let my friends borrow it, but it was still like, this was the day before, the days before VOD and streaming services. So. If you saw a movie three or four months before it came out on video, you you felt pretty exclusive in what you had. Right. I know something um, you don't know. <laughs> exactly. And it was like, just wait till we get the one or two copies of this for the shelf. You know, I'll make sure that film is never there. I will make sure someone else is renting that movie every damn night because I'm going to recommend it. Um, it was one of the first films that highlighted comic books as an actual profession. You know? It's one of those things that, you know, when you're a kid, you, you know people make comic books. But here's a movie where it shows them actually drawing comic books and making comic books and stars. Uh, the, the scenes when they're in, like, the comic conventions, you see other comic artists that are real there. You see Mike Allred and Joe Quesada and all these other guys. So it was kind of like another little, ooh. I, again, I know something you don't know because I know who that comic book artist is. That's a real guy. Um, so again, with stuff that's sometimes super ultra nerdy, it just, you feel like you, you belong to a special club. Right. And this movie had that. And it was also just an incredibly look, good look at complex fucking relationships, both with friends, with, uh, romantic partners. You know, it's got viewpoints that a small kid from Milo didn't get to see a whole hell of a lot, a lot of, you know, it's like, oh, there's a gay black man. Holy shit. That's something you don't, I didn't see every day. Um, nope, there's two lesbians going at it. That's something I didn't see every day. Um, and it, it felt, it felt nice to almost have Jason Lee's character be also that naive. Like, all I can think of is when they're in the bar reenacting the Jaws scene, where they're, you know, talking about their, their body wounds from sexual adventures. <laughs> um, and he's just staring at the two girls while they make out. And like uh, Ben Affleck slaps him and is like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "What are we ever going to get to see this close up?" <laughs> right. And it's like, Jesus, <laughs> yep. That you know, that's a small kid for Milo right there. You're right. Guilty. I'm not going to get to see that close up anytime soon. <laughs> Guilty. Um, <laughs> yep. So it, it was just I was the right age for it. I was my early twenties. They were in their mid to late twenties. It felt cool, and it was a cool fucking movie. So yeah. Watched that a billion times, and I'll, it's still probably in my top five films. Yeah, I. Uh, it, it's funny that that one is on on your list because the other day I was 
like going through and looking and like which Kevin Smith movies that do I not have that I need to pick up because I really would like to do just a, I've never done a Kevin Smith marathon where I start with Clarks and just, you know, in, in release order, just go through his films. And there's, I haven't, I haven't done that since the first three. That would actually be a fun thing to do again. You know, especially mixing in some of the later films um, as well in there just to kind of see, uh, because I mean, honestly, out of his early movies, Dogma is is probably my favorite. And then mm-hmm. for me, it goes. I used, to have a, I used to have a Buddy Christ for my dashboard, my car. <laughs> you know, it probably goes. I've only seen Chasing Amy, I think, twice. It's been and it's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, but you know, to me, for me, Dogma and Mallrats were where I really learned about Kevin Smith. I never saw Clark still long after I had seen Mallrats. Oh, uh, you will on my uh, HBO to front row page. You will, you will get an essay about clerks. Oh, see clerks was a very, very meaningful film for me. Cause I saw that I had, I'd gone off to Boston. I'd had my freshman year of college and I came back to Maine for, for you know, the next batch. And because I had missed out, I, when you go to college, often you're, especially if you're, you don't switch majors or anything, you, you, you are in a lot of your classes with the same people year after year after year, and you get to know them. You get to know the other people in the dorm on your floor. Um, I came midway through when I came back to Maine. Um, so I didn't know anyone, you know, everyone on my floor had already known each other for six months type of thing. Right. I was the stranger. And, um, but I knew they were playing at, at, at the, I can't remember the room at UMaine in the, where they screened movies from time to time, but they were screening clerks. And I convinced like three other guys to go with me to go see this film. And when it started out showing the black and white, they were like, what the fuck did you bring us to? And I'm like, just trust me. I've heard this is great. I've heard this is great. And, like, by the end of that movie, like, I was now one of them. You know, they they laughed so fucking hard at that movie and loved that movie so much that those were, like, our in-jokes for the rest of the semester. It was your, you know, bond, you could, you know it's your bonding moment with those yeah, people. You, if someone just yelled out down the hallway, 37, four <laughs> or five people would laugh. And right. you wouldn't have to go any further. You all knew what the hell was going on, you know? Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. Clerks, clerks will always special, hold a special place for me just for that alone. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I mean, and like I said, that was that's fun. Like I said, I thought that was funny because it was again that was something else that just recently I've been like, I don't have cha- and it's funny, man. Some of these movies aren't out on Blu-ray. Like I can't yeah. find them on Blu-ray. I'm like, if and if you can find a copy, it's like a hundred dollars. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, Clerks is tough. Yeah, you can get um, the. There's a DVD, I believe, with Clerks, Mallrats, and Chasing Amy on it. Yeah, for like I can pick that up for ten bucks. So I think that's probably what I'm going to end up grabbing mm-hmm. with those ones because I have. Uh, I don't own Clerks or Chasing Amy, and the only copy of Mallrats I have is on VHS. So mm-hmm. I I was thinking of grabbing that, and you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I have dogma and 
some other stuff, but it's just weird. I was I was kind of shocked that a lot <laughs> of his stuff isn't on Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is an odd note, too. Did you know that Chasing Amy is part of the Criterion Collection? Really? Yeah, it was one of it only when it first came out on DVD, but yeah, it, it initially came out as part of the Criterion Collection, which, again, made, made me feel kind of cool because, you know, the Criterion Collection was for shit like, you know, Kurosawa and Hogini. And very very high brow. Oh yeah, that films. that that is uh, that is that's curated by to me. That's, that's kind of curated by the snooty cinephiles, you know. Oh yeah, the the comic pro- the, the comic book guys of the yeah. cinema world. <laughs> yeah, I, I and I will gladly call myself a part of that. But yeah, something like chasing Amy is not something that was a you would expect to be up there with seven samurai and eight and a half. Well, because it's such a pop culture type thing Mm -hmm. that it's, Mm -hmm. you don't expect that to be there with those types of films. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and I I only own one criterion and that's the night of the living dead, which is (laughs) unbelievable. And what a great one it is. God, that's amazing. Yep. I, I mean, a, a Criterion, it's one of those, like, I really got to like a movie to pull the trigger on their prices. It's just, it's, but if I can catch it on sale or whatever, you know, it's yeah. something I'll snag, but they're not something yeah. I'm. They, which, have a, they have a twice a year Barnes and Noble sale where everything goes 50% off. Yeah. Those are, those days are like my Christmas. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, and it sucks too, because there's a lot of really cool movies on there that I would like to see. <laughs> But yeah. they're movies that I can't justify dropping thirty, forty dollars on, you know. It's... Exactly, yeah. So that was your number eight, correct? Uh, that was my number nine. Number nine, number nine. Okay. Um, up next for me, th- this one is more of a it's a holiday comfort food movie, and that is nineteen eighty three's A Christmas Story, directed by Bob Clark. Um, oh yeah. This was one of the ones I really debated about putting on this list. Um, and then once I did, I'm like, you know what? I love that movie. And I watch it at least two to three times every December. And I never get sick of it. And it's not like it's a particularly amazing movie, I guess. You know what I mean? There's nothing about it that really makes me go, I need why I need to watch it, but there's just something soothing about this film. It's so weird for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the narration because it's such a narr- it's such a uh, narration driven film that it's just like a day in the life of these people, you know, or a couple days in the lives of these people during this time period. And it's, it's weird. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird film in that way, but it's just one of those, like, I just love this movie so damn much. It's just, it's again, this movie for me is a timestamp of my childhood because this is a movie I watched every year growing up, you know, at Christmas time. This was always on TBS, even back when I was a kid, you know, 25, 30 years ago. This was a movie that always was on during Christmas, and I would watch it multiple times during Christmas. I probably watched this more than any other Christmas movie. Because I don't really get uh, too super deep into the Christmas movies. Mm. You know, there's a few that I watch um, on a somewhat regular basis. But that is like the Christmas movie for me. Oh, hell yeah. So it's, it's it's you know, 
it's one of those, one of those, uh, films that I just, I love the shit out of. And, and it always is like, especially around the holidays, it's one of those I could just sit back and throw it on and just get kind of whisked away in the movie. And I always, and I always, even now, as many times as I've seen it, I always find myself engrossed with it when I'm watching yeah. it. Well, one of the things that works for me about that film, and I think it probably has a lot to do with the fact that Bob Clark also directed uh, the, the horror Christmas classic, Black Christmas, Yes, is this film, film can get a little mean. Oh, yeah. For a Christmas movie, it, it, it can go to some dark places pretty quick. I mean, it still does it with kind of a, a childlike viewpoint, so it's not like you're going to see mutilation or murder. Right. But, all of us, well, especially those of us growing up in Maine during the winter, know the terror of what happens if your tongue gets stuck to a pole. <laughs> that is some existential level terror because you you can't go anywhere. You are literally stuck <laughs> to that pole. Um, I made the mistake of doing that with a swing set I had as a kid before I ever saw this movie. Um, so if, lesson would have been learned had I seen this movie first. Right. And knowing would have been half the battle for you. And, yes. You know, G.I. Joe would have been very proud of that. Oh. Well, that's a good segue into a Soldier of Fortune movie that I, I have as number eight. Uh, the Walter Hill classic, Streets of Fire. Nice. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it was about this movie. Um, it could have been the soundtrack. I love the soundtrack. It was I your still have it on, still have it on vinyl to this day. It was your obsession with Michael Par, Paré. Michael Paré? Uh, he, he might appear on this list again. Uh, <laughs> but it was one of those things. It was always on HBO. So, I mean, for, for me, for that level of comfort, it means I had, I didn't have to pick what to watch anymore. I'm flipping the channels. Streets of Fire is on. Ah, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the joke, the joke was always HBO stood for, Hey, Beastmasters on, but <laughs> you know, these two movies that I've got specifically with Michael Pere were also on all the time, but you know, had Rick Moranis in a role that we weren't familiar with Rick Moranis being in, you know, yeah. he's kind of a, I won't say tough talking because that's not necessarily the case, but you know, he's trying, right. It's, uh, Got a beautiful, beautiful Diane Lane in one of her earliest films. Um, Michael Pere just being tough as nails. Um, Bill Paxton is the bartender who, you know, constantly gets punched by Amy Madigan and or <laughs> other people. And Willem Dafoe wearing the creepiest set of overalls, I guess you could call them, that you'll ever see. Yeah. Um, the sledgehammer fight of that movie is the stuff of legend. For me, you know, and it was funny because I I had never seen this movie up until a few years ago when <laughs> you were talking about it, and I was like, "How the hell did I miss this one?" I, I don't know how. I don't. I somehow managed to miss this movie because I watched everything else that was. I mean, I watched Meatballs Four on HBO. If that tells you anything, oh my you god, know? was that the one with the was that the one with the alien meathead? 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, I had completely forgotten about that. I mean, until just so now. that tells you like the depths of the things that I watched on HBO, <laughs> and I somehow missed Streets of Fire. I have no Holy idea. Shit, I had forgotten about Meathead. <laughs> I believe Corey Feldman's in that too. If I, I remember, I think right you're now. right. Yeah, that's I been a long, right. long time since I've seen that. But I remember Meathead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How can you forget that? How can you ever forget that? Which was totally not a ripoff on uh, E.T. at all. Oh, oh no. Of course not. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was, that was, uh, yeah, that was just, I always thought, like, I always, it's kind of nice, though, now that I'm older, discovering some of these movies that I just mm-hmm. somehow managed to miss because it's like, Here's a movie I haven't watched eight billion times already that's new and fresh from that time period. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think I kind of dig, you know, I've really in the last few years started getting into like the arrow releases and oh. so, some of, some of that stuff because a good chunk of those films I've never seen. Oh, well, um, you might like to know that, uh, just this week arrow has released their own Roku channel. Ooh, really? Uh, they they have a subscription service. It's something. It's got a thirty day free trial, which I I signed up for yesterday. It's, it'll be something like fifty bucks a year. That's not bad. And though. it has, considering again, like 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 Criterion, a lot of their releases are twenty five to thirty bucks. Right. Um, Same it, thing it's with got Arrow, a lot. Yeah. Of, yeah, it's got a lot of their stuff on there. I mean, I I picked up a pile of movies during uh, Arrow uh, during the diabolic dvd you know halloween sale mm-hmm. um but generally there's unless they're having a sale it's pretty hard for me to that's like one of those things like this year i'm gonna try to put some money aside so mm-hmm. when it comes time for the diabolic dvd halloween sale <laughs> i know but so many of them do different ones now you've got diabolic dvd you've got vinegar syndrome you've got arrow you've got criterion I mean, it's honestly, it's a great problem to have, to have, oh my God, all these special editions of all these movies I love are getting put out right now, but yeah, yeah, it gets, it gets costly. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to try to this year just to put a little bit of money aside. So, you know, I have a hundred bucks or so just to throw down on however many films I can Mm -hmm. get or whatever during that time period, because yeah. You're talking like 75 to 50% off a lot of these. Oh, yeah. You know, so um, when you can pick up the Arrow release of, like, Reanimator and stuff for $7, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty well, hard to beat, you know. <laughs> now that you mentioned that, too, I think the last time Scream Factory or Shout Factory had one of their sales, um, the Steel Book of Streets of Fire was available for, like, 10 bucks. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> I didn't pick it up because I already have the blu-ray and i i don't really care too much about you know steel books as much but no um, the only steel show factory put out a hell of an edition of that the only steel books that i really am like kind of die hardish about is my john carpenter films i have all of those uh most of those in steel book some of them aren't available in steel book yet but uh i have a feeling they will be eventually because yeah, that's just what Shelt Factory ends up doing once they put out a release like Vampires and uh, Escape from L.A. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I will buy those in another year when they come out on Steelbook. But yeah, that's why I've kind of held off from snagging them at this point because I don't want to have to buy 
and it pisses me off because I bought the uh, regular blue Blu-ray version of the thing, which is gorgeous. But oh yeah, but like a month after I bought it, the steel they announced the the steel book of it. I'm like, really? I'm like. I, <laughs> I was like, so I don't have the thing in Steelbook, but nothing is easier to part than a nerd and his money, man. Uh, I know I'm a victim to it. (laughs) I've been trying to be better about it and not going overboard with stuff, but sometimes it's hard. (laughs) It's been really hard during the pandemic because Uh, you're not going out as much. You're not spending money, you know, going out to eat. You're not spending money traveling. So it's like, well, fuck, I should spend my money on something. Oh, look, another <laughs> another movie sale. I've been uh, trying to sate my, sate my collector, you know, uh, hunger by picking up a shitload of stuff at Redbox instead of running it for two or three bucks, just paying the extra dollar buying it. Oh, yeah, I do that like every, like once a month I'll go and buy like three or four titles for three ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just picked up uh, Fantasy Island and Bill and Ted Face the Music the other day, and it cost me like five dollars. I also picked up Bill and Ted Face the Music the other day. <laughs> so, uh, and I have a few other ones that I picked up in the last month or so that I still haven't gotten. Uh, uh, Blackwater, um, the new Blackwater one, mm-hmm. and what else did I pick up? Um, Black Christmas and oh yeah. Couple, couple other ones that I'm forgetting right off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. uh, so for me, number seven on my list is actually three films, oh. <laughs> and that is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Okay, can we hold off on talking about those? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just bounce to your next one then. Yeah, because those might make an appearance. Um, so yeah, if we're gonna, I'm gonna follow up my Michael Perret film with. Yet another Michael Perret film, uh, the, I believe it's 1983 or 84 classic, uh, Eddie and the Cruisers. Oh, I love that movie so much. <laughs> How can you not? Um, you know, it's just about a band in the, you know, in Jersey in the 50s or si- late 50s, early 60s, trying to make a hit record, you know, and all the, all, all the stuff that goes along with it. Uh, it's one of the first movies that I remember making writing looking just as cool as music. Yeah. Because, you know, usually in music biopics, it's all about the music. And, you know, this one took the time to take Tom Berger's character, the, the English lit nerd, who was just really good at writing lyrics. And, you know, words and music, man, words and music. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, fuck, writing is cool. I'm going to write more often. <laughs> writing is cool. I would like to this... know your, what are your thoughts? See, I actually really also enjoy Eddie and the Cruisers too, even though it is mm-hmm. a bit on the, it's a bit cheesy. Yeah. You um, want to know something crazy? Never seen it. Really? Wow. Cause uh, I have it. Cause the, the DVD copy I have of Eddie and the Cruisers is an Eddie and the Cruisers, Eddie and the Cruisers 2 double pack. Eddie and the Cruisers is just such a perfect film for me. I'm afraid to watch it. I'm afraid to watch the sequel because I don't want the magic of the original to be ruined for me. In it, in it, uh, I don't think it will. Um, it's a solid enough movie that it stands on its own two feet. Mm. Um, but it's, see what I just, I just love that ending of the first one though with Eddie just turning. You know, everyone thinks Eddie's dead and then you just see this guy in a coat. 
watching the TV outside of a store and then just turn and walk away. Yeah. And it's like, holy shit, that's Eddie. What a perfect ending. Yeah. And it's, this is, uh, the, the second part is, it's an interesting continuation of that moment into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what would happen if years later that the fandom kind of, he, he still has that desire to play music. And, yeah. you know, he is such a perfectionist that it's kind of yeah. interesting. You know what? So it's kind of an interesting take of him trying to hide who he is, mm-hmm. but put a new band together type thing. And it's, I find it really, it's interesting. Like I said, it's not the masterpiece the first one is, mm-hmm. but it's, it's still a solid film. I'd give it like, you know, like a, like a seven out of 10. Mm. Well, it's one of those two things too, which is really funny for me was, um, they made such a big deal in the movie that their second, the second album, The Seasons in Hell, was just going to be something so complex and new and wonderful. And you only hear that one song from it on the soundtrack. Yeah. And that song is so fucking good. I got mad as a kid that that second album wasn't real. <laughs> I mean, because you that- could buy, you could buy the soundtrack and it had all the great music from John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown band on there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was so mad when I was a kid and I learned that that a, that, that, that second album was never made. (laughs) No, the, 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 the second, uh, soundtrack is actually also really good. Definitely again, not as good as that first one, but it's still pretty cool. There's some good Mm. songs on there. Maybe one day I will get up my courage. I think I will be interested to hear what you think about it when you do get around. Let me know when you're going to watch it, and I will watch (laughs) it at the same time, and then we can discuss it. (laughs) I'll do a fucking live tweet of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we'll have to have to do like a commentary track or something to it. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So number. Uh, where are we? Uh, 10, 8, 9, 7, 6. Number 6 for me is the original Star Wars trilogy. Again, the three movie thing. Uh, is this also on your list or no? Uh, one of them is. Okay. I'm guessing, so, I'm guessing Empire, but. <laughs> you might be correct in that. Yeah. Um, the originals, the, the original Star Wars trilogy is really the first set of movies I remember like really being infatuated with as a kid mm-hmm. uh, because I, I the only one I ever got to see in the theater of the originals was Jedi mm-hmm. um, because I was you know I was kind of yeah. little at that point so I, I was born what, two years after the original film came out? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but. Yeah, I was told I saw the first two in the theater. I don't remember it. I remember. But it, I, I vividly remember seeing Jedi. I think it was my fourth or fifth birthday we went to see Jedi. Like a bunch of us. Like my, my, my sisters took me with some friends and we went and saw mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi. Oh, uh, yeah, because I mean, oh, back in our day, you know. Going to the movies was a birthday party in itself, man. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, we we went to Burger King and we got the collectible glasses from the yep. you know the the it was Burger King McDonald's one of them that had the collectible glasses and the, um hold on just a second let me look in my cabinet here I can tell you <laughs> uh, all right there's my 
Return of the Jedi Cup right there. Uh, with Han Solo and Jabba Sail Barge. Those were Burger King. Burger King. I had the one, I remember mine, the one that I had, that was like my favorite thing in the planet and until I broke it, was the mm-hmm. C-3PO and R2-D2 Cup. Oh, yeah. That was the one that I had. But, um, yeah, those movies for me, again, I've watched those out of out of all every movie I've ever seen, I've probably seen the Star Wars trilogy more than any other films. Um yeah. And for me, it just that's one of those movies that, that just holds a spe- it's it's kind of the film that the films that made me love movies in the first mm-hmm. place. So yeah. it's it's an, always an easy one, even though I've seen them probably well over a hundred times a piece. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> You know, I can still throw them on and I still enjoy them, but it's more of like, I don't watch them so much now because I have watched them so much over the years, but like when I feel like complete and utter shit and I don't feel good and I'm sick, those are the movies mm-hmm. that I like to throw on. Yep. Because if I doze off or if I, what you know, or if I can't really pay attention because I, you know, I'm not feeling great. I'm not lost when I do pay attention to what's going on, you know, <laughs> type thing. So those are definitely like sick day movies for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and heck, while we're on the theme of birthday party movies, uh, we've got my number six, uh, Rocky four. Oh, excellent. there's no easy uh, way out, Dan. There's there no, easy, no way easy way out. There's no something. <laughs> no shortcut short, home. Shortcut home. That's right. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that just came about at the perfect time. I think it was my third grade or third grade. Yeah. The third grade year birthday party was, uh, I think me and Tom and maybe Phil Woodard. I can't remember. Uh, my mom took us to go see Rocky four nice. and got myself the soundtrack on cassette. Cause it was just so badass. And, um, as you know, it's so easy to identify with Rocky in that movie because, I mean, oh, sure, at the beginning of the film, he's got, you know, the life of luxury in the pool. But it, after, you know, the, the ordeal with Clubber Lang, it gave Rocky a reason to fight again. And I liked the fact that when it time came time for him to train, he didn't train in, an, you know, a state-of-the-art gym like Drago did. Who also, when you're like 12, he's the most terrifying man on the planet. Also, that uh, film, one of the best montages ever. Training oh, montages the, ever. <laughs> it is the best training montage of all training montages. But it's also, as a kid, a training montage you can almost recreate, and God knows I tried. Well, yeah, because uh, it's snowy and cold. <laughs> exactly. I went out and ran into the snow. Made. I'm like, I'll run like Rocky in the snow. Made it about a hundred yards from my house and collapsed. You, you didn't throw I'm the like, uh, you didn't throw the log over your back and swing it back and forth and you know. Oh, I tried. I tried. <laughs> you know, uh, my dad let me chop some wood with an axe. You know, <laughs> he's thinking, all right, I got the kid motivated to do some firewood. All right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm going to tell him it's a training montage. Exactly. <laughs> you do this for a half an hour. You're just like Rocky. So, yeah. Um, and it's just, to this day, even though, you know, the first Rocky film is a goddamn masterpiece. 
if you ask me what my favorite Rocky film is, it's always going to be Rocky Four. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you there. That's also yeah. definitely, definitely mine. That was also the Rocky film I think I've watched the most because it was yeah. on HBO all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that and Part Three, I think, were the two that were always on HBO. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. It took me years to eventually see Rocky Two. Yeah, because Rocky Two was never on, but Rocky Three, Rocky Four, and Rocky from time to time. Yeah, I but, used yeah. to I used to catch Rocky more on like TBS and stations yeah. like that yeah. than HBO. Yeah, for the longest, I mean, I don't think I saw the first Rocky until after I'd already seen Rocky Three and Rocky Four. Oh, same here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd already seen and Three I, and Four. I think I saw Four first, then Three. Yeah, and then and One I and Two. Being completely stunned that Rocky lost at the end. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> right. Rocky loses in part one? How the fuck did this happen? I'm very confused. I don't know what's yeah. going on. <laughs> Could not wrap my brain around that as a kid. Uh, up next for me from 1986 is the movie Critters. Ah, that's the other one I knew would make your list. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> what can I say? I love this movie. It's cheesy, but in all the best possible ways. <laughs> um, uh, I just, again, I watched this movie when I was probably way too young to watch this movie. Before, well, that's because it looks adorable. It doesn't look like a serious horror film. You know, I think my mother probably assumed it was like an E.T. type movie. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> it, it definitely was not. Uh it, but it's not so over the top gory and like nasty that it's like, it, it still kind of falls kind of in that where it's not too traumatizing for, at the time I probably was like six or seven when I watched this one. Yeah. So, you know, uh, well, 86, I think I would have been eight. So yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I remember again, this was another one of those HBO movies that I watched over and over, and I taped it and had it on tape and watched it over and over and over. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I had a tape with, like, this and Lone Wolf McQuaid. Oh, yeah. Uh, Red Dawn and Beastmaster, possibly, on it or mm-hmm. something like that. Yep. Because I had my one tape. My one tape that I had to just tape over stuff if I wanted to put anything new on it because, you know, tapes were $30 a pop or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. It became, tape. yeah. Those were like the Sophie's choices of of our days. It was like, yeah, because I think I had like four or five tapes, and you could fit three movies to a tape as long as none of them were over two hours. You know, yeah, you had the space. And yeah, I remember my you were like, I remember my sister and I each got one blank tape apiece for Christmas the year we got a VCR. Yeah, and I think I still have that tape somewhere. <laughs> it's been, it's I I don't think it's very playable because I. Over the oh, years, it's, I've taped over stuff, you know, but for the longest time, I, that was like the only tape I had. So every time mm-hmm. I'd find that cool new movie that I loved, I'd tape, tape over something. Yeah. I'd you had like, to make the choice of to which film took the bullet. I think Red Dawn, speaking of taking a bullet, yeah, Red Dawn. Appropriately Dawn, enough. Then. Appropriately <laughs> enough, I think was the first movie I took off. And put something else on. I don't even remember what it was. I think it might have actually been like the MTV Music Awards from one year or something. The year Pearl Jam did go live ah. with, and with Neil Young, I think, was the year 
that nice. I ended up like taping over that tape and it's all like music videos and like that type of stuff or something. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a great movie. It's a fun movie. Um, I really enjoyed the whole series and, uh, you know, like, but one is hands, one and two are really good. And then three and four are watchable, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, but. <laughs> oh. Well, that leads, that leads into our top five, doesn't it? Yes, sir. All right. Well, uh, kicking off my top five, I just realized I'm actually wearing the shirt today. I totally didn't do that on purpose, but um, a film that will forever be tied to me, uh, the Richard Donner film, The Goonies. Awesome film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just one of those I saw it a million times when it came out. It's the movie that got me my first girlfriend. We first met at the Humane Planetarium on a field trip in fifth grade. She went to school in Brownville. I went to school in Milo. Um, her best friend was Shannon Cartwright. One of my friends was Phil Woodard, and he and Shannon were dating. So he was sitting over with Shannon, and Andrea saw me from across the room, and I was wearing my jean jacket, had my braces, and she thought I looked like the guy from Goonies. So therefore, I was cute and had to be her boyfriend. Um, so... I, and I didn't know that story until she told me it like a year ago. That's funny. That's that's like one of those when you guys do get married wedding story type things that need oh, to yeah. be told. <laughs> well, to, to make it even better, have you heard of the, the service cameo? Yes. I, I had Sean Austin propose to her for me. Oh, dude, that's 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 fucking cool, man. Points yeah. for you, sir. Points oh, it, for even, you. <laughs> even better, we uh we went to Bangor to look at Christmas decorations and lights. Yeah. And I was like, oh, there's a whole bunch of Christmas lights up at the Humane, um, um, Christ, the, the Floral Gardens. Now, yeah. there isn't. But what's right next to the Floral Gardens at Humane? The Planetarium. The Planetarium. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, hey, there's the Planetarium. Let's just take a picture. That'll be cool. So as we went out to take a picture of ourselves in front of the Planetarium, I played her the video. So... <laughs> Dude, yeah, good, I, I, good I want job, good man. Good job. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you had it way more planned out than I did. I, <laughs> mine was <laughs> the, 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 the that's because the fucking pandemic kept fucking it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, that <laughs> like, I was too, like, oh, yeah. well, I'll I'll ask her because we both love another movie that's on here, my list. Um, and there's a bench in Boston Common. Uh, from this movie that we both love. I'm trying not to give the movie away. I'm like, I can do it there this summer. Oh, nope, can't go to Boston during the summer because we each have to fucking quarantine for two weeks on when he come back. Right. Uh, so <laughs> every plan I had kept getting ruined. So I was like, okay, I need to come up with something where I don't have to go fucking anywhere for it. And that's when I came up with Sean Austin. So, and thankfully he was available on Cameo. Hey, that's, yeah, I, I didn't even really know about Cameo until like just recently somebody was, yeah. oh, Joe Lynch was uh yeah. he's doing stuff on cameo you know so i was like i was like what the hell is cameo <laughs> and then i'm like mm-hmm. looking up like it's, oh i was like that's kind of cool I was it's like, one of those things the kids are into these days you know <laughs> yeah us old folk i i don't do yeah. kids and your dang fangled new technology you know we got our dan fogelberg in our pack man leave us alone mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but yeah, e- even before all the current stuff, uh, Goonies was just, that's one of the best movies, man. It's just so enjoyable, so fun, so quotable. I mean, another one I want. If I just say the word booby traps, you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. That's I... what I said. Booby traps. I watched that movie so much as a kid. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, it, now that's one of those movies I watched that, I mean, I've lost count of how many times I watched it as oh, yeah. a kid. As an adult, I haven't seen that movie in 10, 12 years probably since the last time I watched it, Goonies. Oh, but it just, it's, it's one of those that just keeps popping up. Yeah. Like, uh, right when Andrea and I first started dating, I had to take a trip. And while I was staying at a hotel in Boston, I called her just to tell her I'd made it safely. And I'm flipping through the TV channels, and boom, what's on TBS? The fucking Goonies. So we sat there over the phone and watched Goonies together. Aw, that's cute, Uh, man. (laughs) When we moved moved to Dover, when we bought our house uh, this past uh, spring, uh, they did... They couldn't have, you know, the, the movie theater open, so they were doing drive-ins. What's one of the first movies they showed at the drive-in? Goonies. Goonies. Yep. It's, for people our age, it's just inescapable at times, and oh, I'm yeah. perfectly okay with that. Yeah. I would have had to have done something with Jaws for me and Cassie, because that's like, we both love that movie. I don't know how. Here, I got you a severed arm. What's on the end of it? Dude, no. You, you, go to Univer- you go to Universal and you propose when Jaws pops out of the water like fucking mall rats, man. <laughs> Very true. There you go. Bringing the Kevin Smith background on us. Yeah, yeah. That, how romantic would that be? Yeah. But that was my. For some people, very. That was my first, uh, my first drive-in experience because I've never gotten to go to the one in Bangor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first time either she or I had ever been and we took her daughter to see nice. Jaws and her daughter, cause her daughter loves Jaws. You know, she's, she just, she's 10. So <laughs> she loves Jaws. So we watched, that was the first drive-in movie. Uh, that we all got to see together was Jaws, so that was kind of a that was kind of a cool thing. Just, mm-hmm. but not as cool as you having Sean Astin propose. So that's, <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome, dude. It's it's about as cool as I will ever get. Like that is peak cool for me. It's only downhill from here, man. <laughs> right. Uh, number four for me is uh, the only animated film on my my list and that is 19 and also i will say my favorite pixar movie and mm-hmm. that's 1998's a bug's life oh that I, film is so underrated in the pixar canon i don't know why this movie is got so much crap but mm-hmm. to me this is like perfect I, I there's everything about it is enjoyable all the characters are great you can root for flick you know, yeah. it's it's got that adorable factor you expect out of you know, and it's got mm-hmm. those those uh, you know the the essentially to me all Pixar movies are basically modern fables. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, this this isn't just a fable for those like cinephile elitists out there. It is literally the Seven Samurai. Bugs Life is straight up the Seven Samurai. Yeah. So. Even even people who are like, I don't watch animated films. It's like, well, would you watch an animated version of The Seven Samurai? Because this is it, you know. <laughs> and it's so good. And this is is this is another one of those ones. 
when I'm having like a bad day or just, you know, something like this, mm-hmm. this is like one of the movies I throw on because it just, you can't help, but I, I know I can't help, but come out with a smile by the end of the movie. It's just, it's one of oh, those yeah. things, you know, cause it takes you through the stages of I'm a screw up. I made a mistake. I'm going to write my wrong. I come back. I write my wrong. It ends up going a little haywire to mm-hmm. make that happen. But eventually everything kind of works out. Type thing. Oh, yeah. I remember, too, I was at the movie store when that came out. And, oh, my God, people would get so mad because Disney put that out in their typical clamshell packaging. Yeah. And it had, I think, four or five different covers because, like, each of the main bugs got a cover. Yeah. So people would get so mad if we didn't have a certain bug for sale. <laughs> it's like, oh, what do you have it previously viewed with so and so? I'm like, nope, only this one. Sorry, you know. <laughs> right. People would be making requests, so like, next time it goes for sale previously viewed, can you take one of those covers off the shelf to, to sell it? And I'd be right. like, all right, you know. <laughs> First time I've ever had that happen. Ironically, I do own a clamshell VHS of that movie. <laughs> which which bug is on the cover? Um, Flick. It was the more common one. I think, yeah. He, yeah, I think Flick. I'm pretty sure Flick is the main one on that one. Yeah, yeah, but like the late the the ladybug got one played by Dennis Leary. I believe that was Dennis Leary who played yes. the ladybug. Yep, yep. Uh, the the chubby caterpillar was another one that got a cover. Uh, and I think the girl bug got one too. Yeah. The main, like, Flick's love interest. Oh, yeah, one. yeah, Princess Anna. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Foley. Maybe, I, I love Dave Foley in that, but I love Dave yeah. Foley as Flick. I thought he was great. It oh, was, yeah. You know, I like Dave Foley anyway, but that was, that was. That a, is definitely an underappreciated Pixar film. It just got, it got kind of sandwiched in there between other stuff and. Dude, this is this is one we we should write this down for future reference. Is top, mm-hmm. uh, rate the Pixar movies because at this point, oh, I would definitely do that. This yeah, point, yeah. I've seen every one of them, but I will tell you what: out of all the different stuff, I think that would be one of the harder lists to rate because so many of those films are so neck and neck as far as mm-hmm. like for me anyway. They're so mm-hmm. neck and neck, like it's really hard to like pick which one I like better type thing. <laughs> yep. Well, no, especially because now there's enough so that Toy Story isn't taking three out of the top ten, you know, in the no, list. No, no, right. Yeah, we're, we, you know, we're we're probably, what, around 12, 14, 15 films now? Oh, I bet they're at least up to 15 at this point. Yeah. And yeah. So it's, it's, uh, I, that would be interesting to go through and rate the Pixar movies as, as an episode. Maybe we'll. All right, let's, keep, let's, let's keep do that, that next time we get. Next time we get together, let's do that. So that will be come up with something different. April. So for April's yeah. episode, we'll do, yeah, yeah, we'll do the rate right to Pixar movies. So spring, a bug's life, it works. Yeah, there we go. Hey, that's perfect. <laughs> right. So back to All you, right. man. <laughs> uh, my, my number four, which, um, is I kind of just talked about a little bit. It's the one that, uh, would have been the, another place to propose, uh, is the park bench in Boston Common in Boston. And that's thanks to the I gotta go see about a girl scene in Goodwill Hunting. Nice. Um, I don't know what it was about this movie when it came out. It could have been that it came out, I think, two years after I moved back from Boston. So I was missing Boston terribly. Um, it's 
it's a great story for someone who's like, especially in their early twenties and not sure what the fuck they're doing with their life. Yeah. Who feel, uh, I'm, I'm not going to place my, 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 my intelligence level with, with, with Will Hunting cause that would be ridiculous. <laughs> but at the time I'm like, am I doing what I can be doing? You know, I'm a smart dude. Am I doing all I can be doing? And then realizing that, that those things necessarily don't need to correlate. Right. Like I, I went to school when I originally went to go to college for aerospace engineering. And I was like, I'm smart. I'm going to do aerospace engineering. And I fucking hated it. <laughs> uh, studying that shit for me was so boring. It was all, I'm going to be sitting in a cubicle the rest of my life running fucking computer programs, which for some people is great. For me, was not. Um, first time I had to write a computer program where I had to write a computer program to determine if I drop a ball from X height, how many times would it bounce before coming to a rest? And that was like my final for that class. And I had to spend like a month writing that program. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? I don't care how many times that ball fucking bounces. Right. Um, Goodwill Hunting spoke to me on that level. Where it was like, you know, sometimes it's okay to not fucking do what everyone thinks you're supposed to do. Man, um, I... Sometimes you got to do your own thing. And sometimes what, if you're doing your own thing, you might get stuck in a rut. You'll find your way out when it's time. Yeah. You know? Th- that's a movie I really, another one that I, I've, I've only seen that movie once. And I will be honest with you, it didn't really, I didn't get why everybody loved that movie so much at the time <laughs> when I watched it. Because you're a cold-hearted bastard, that's why. Well, you know, <laughs> so I've been told. Uh, but <laughs> the, yeah, I don't know. It was one of those movies, like, I don't know if it was, like, wrong place, wrong time or whatever. But it's always <laughs> been one of those movies I've meant to go back and watch. You, you should, man. It, it, again, it was one of those that was in my VHS box. Um, probably fell asleep to that movie for six months straight at one point. Um, I can quote that movie backward and forward. Um, yeah, it's, it was everything I needed to hear at that point when it came out. And it really, I didn't necessarily act on all the information I was learning for it for some time, but I took it to heart so that when I did, I eventually was like, shit, Goodwill Hunting taught me that. Well, fuck. Well, I don't know. For me, I think part of it was, and I know this may sound awful, but I felt it was kind of pretentious. Oh, it, I can understand that. We, <laughs> and that's why I, I don't think that. I, and I think that's kind of why I didn't like it. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm just like, really, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's also, again, at that place in time in my life, when that come out mm-hmm. where I was, so it probably wasn't what I needed at that point in time. Yeah. You know, I went through, like I said, I think you and I had talked about before. I said, especially with 90s movies, mm-hmm. I there's a lot of 90s movies, man. And early, like, uh, that, that like, probably like 92 to 90, uh, well, I'm trying to think. Yeah, probably like 93, 94 to like 98, 99, where I, I didn't mm-hmm. watch a lot of new release stuff. At that time, um, mm-hmm. I, I, even though, which is weird, because that's also the time where I was working at a video store. But I, <laughs> I was watching a lot of uh, I was watching a lot of genre films at that time. You're, because, you're going through the catalog, man. 
You know, I was watching genre films at that yeah. time. You know, I was all about fucking horror and sci-fi and shit at that point. Oh, yeah. Um, I think anybody who's ever worked at a video store has done that, where they're just like, I'm going to tackle that section. And, you know, a few months later, you've made it through every single movie in that section. And a lot of those movies, too, especially the ones that uh, I thought were, quote, unquote, as you talk tackled very well in your article about toxic masculinity in the Pretty Woman <laughs> article in the HBO to front row. Uh, um, there was a lot of those that if I even kind of perceived them as being sort of a chick flick, wouldn't mm-hmm. watch, wouldn't watch it. Yep. You know, yep. it was just like, yep. I'm like, no interest in that whatsoever. Skip, you know, and I think I missed a lot of really good movies because oh, yeah. of that. No, you, you definitely have. You definitely have. It's just. Some I have watched our, our, our since, but sometimes. some of those I've watched since. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you, you know, even to be honest with you, even Chasing Amy took me a long time to watch because mm-hmm. I kind of perceived that as being kind of a chick flick. It, oh, it was. It was Kevin Smith's romance movie, man. You, you know, know? <laughs> it was, uh, but once I had watched some of the other films, then it was like, eh, I'll check this out. And I, I, mm-hmm. you know, um, so yeah, uh, Next up on the list, I just got this on 4K uh, for, like, $7. It was pretty cheap. And that is uh, The Fifth Element. Oh, yeah. Great movie that I can endlessly quotable. Um, It's one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. Um, Mm -hmm. It's beautifully shot. It's quirky. um, Endlessly quotable. And mm-hmm. it's one of those films, like, I can just kind of throw it on whenever, and I'm never lost. If I, yeah. you know, whether, whether I pick it up at any point in the film, I know right where I am, you know? <laughs> one, and one of the interesting things about that movie is almost any time that there is a, like, a generational jump in quality, like, from DVD to Blu-ray, Blu-ray to 4K, that's almost always one of the first movies released. Yeah. Um, cause I actually, that was the very first DVD I ever owned about a year before I owned a DVD player Yeah, because I was in Sam's club or some shit and they had like a, a rack of DVDs, which was holy shit. There's DVDs here. And, uh, they had like, they had that one and Blade Runner and I only had enough money for one. So I picked the fifth element cause I knew it would be more colorful and more shiny and it's, it's the a sound would be better. The, like the color palette, that movie is mm-hmm. gorgeous. I can't wait to watch it on 4K. I haven't had it. I oh. actually haven't had a chance to sit down and watch that one yet. I bet it'll be spectacular. I, I picked up, um, I've picked up three movies on 4K because I'm trying not to just rebuy Blu-rays that I already have. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, so, so far I've picked up Terminator 2, mm-hmm. um, Fifth Element and Starship Troopers, all sci-fi, but you know, mm-hmm. those are all gorgeous looking films too. Did you so, not get the Beastmaster 4K? I did not cuz I didn't have my 4K when that uh oh. when that was on pre-sale and stuff and I it's kind of pricey. I I know right. I, <laughs> I really well, want it but <laughs> dude, I have a treat for you then. Uh, uh for for doing the music for my other super nerdy uh video chat thing I do with my other buddies. I actually got misshipped another Beastmaster Ooh. from Vinegar Syndrome, and they told me to fucking keep it. Really? 
It's yours, man. Oh, dude, thank you so much, man. You, you, it's it's one of the most gorgeous blue 4K sets I've got, man. It's fucking amazing, and I have an extra, so it's yours, man. Oh, dude, thank you. I'd even give you some money for that, dude. That's no, 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 no. I got it for free. I would feel bad taking money, so I'm just passing along the good fortune I had. Yeah, and it's because it's one of those ones like the ones that I picked up so far were like on sale when I grabbed yeah. them. So I think I paid like. I think the most I paid for any of those was ten dollars. I I got uh, Fifth Element I think for seven and Terminator Two for eight and Starship Troopers was nine ninety nine. So and I love all those movies and I'm like those are all going to be gorgeous in four K. So oh yeah, no, <laughs> I actually for the first time watched uh, Beastmaster in four K like a week or so ago and it was fucking spectacular. Oh, I can't wait now. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> So, yeah, but, so that was all there was to Fifth Element, and that, to me, is, like, that's one of those, for me, that defines my 90s, kind of, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. as weird as that sounds. Uh, that was one of those movies, there was, there was, like, during the, especially the late 90s, um, I was really, I got really back into sci-fi in the, in the mid to late 90s, so, like, Stargate, Fifth Element, um, Galaxy Quest, which mm-hmm. I absolutely love, <laughs> which was one that almost made my list for comfort food movies. Um, and, uh, uh, holy brain cramp. Uh, I forgot. Wow, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> I do, like, I completely have blanked on this. I just, I was, I was just gonna say I completely blanked on it. Wow, that's awful. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I, those three movies were like just constant rotation movies for me for a, a long time period because I had them all on VHS and I watched mm-hmm. them over and over and over and over. Those were the movies that I always had on. And mm-hmm. out of all of those, um, Fifth Element is probably the one that's yeah. held up the best of all those for me that just is still endlessly watchable. Yeah, see, that's kind of why I worry. And again, I don't want to sound like that old guy. But, like, I worry that current generations, the younger generation, aren't going to have films like this because they have Netflix. You know, yeah. they have Hulu. You're never going to be relegated to having to watch what's on. Oh, yeah. Or only owning five VHS tapes, you know, and that's what you watch. You know, and I had that a, shit was expensive. I had a decent VHS collection because I, even in high school, like in the early 90s, when we first mm-hmm. were able to buy used VHSs, yeah. and they were still like 10 or 15 bucks a piece for a used copy of stuff. Oh, yeah. I still, at the time, because I always worked, so I would still, you know, I always worked, and I didn't really have much for bills at that age, so I would go, you know, and pick up a movie here and there. I mean, I thought I had a massive collection at that time. I think I had, like, (laughs) early, you know, like, mid-90s. I think I had, like, 20, 25 movies, store-bought movies on VHS. I mean, I had those displayed proudly in my room. Oh, I still remember, (laughs) like, when I hit the 50 mark, when I, like, when I was just starting to work at the movie store, and I hit, like, my 50th owned tape, I was like, oh, I have 50 movies. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that what pushed me over the 50 mark, and I didn't go much higher than that because that's when DVD was just kind of starting to come in was um, 
I got a subscription. This is really going to date my age. <laughs> I got a membership to be uh, Columbia House Movie Club. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. So, you know, I picked my 10 movies for a penny, and then you only have to buy one. So I I did that a couple different times because anybody that did that knows it was easy just to change a couple letters in your oh, yeah. name and resubscribe. Got, <laughs> the first time I ever ordered from them, I got Boys in the Hood, Singles, uh, Goodfellas. Oh, shit, I can't remember. There were one or two other ones I got though that are I, that was like the beginning of my movie box, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then you know towards like the late the the late uh, I'm trying to think, man. It would have been would have been early 2000s. I finally picked up a Blu-ray player. I mean a DVD player mm-hmm. because the first I bought a new TV. <laughs> I bought a new TV, a Blu-ray a DVD player. In a surround sound system, and a copy mm-hmm. of Blade at Best Buy on my on my first credit card that I ever had, which was the Best Buy card. <laughs> so, that was one of my first ones too, <laughs> and that's my first purchase was that because I was like, man, I was like, they had a really good buy on a DVD player, and Blade had just come out was on sale, so that tells you what year it was. Um, yep. I would have to look that up. I think it was like. <laughs> Like 2000, 2001, maybe. Uh, <laughs> well, well, this is too good of a segue to pass up here. Because we're going from the one of the first major Marvel movie hits. Blade to, came out. This was Blade 2, okay? Yeah. Not to cut you the off. Guillermo del Toro one. 2002. Yeah. So, yeah, that that was about yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, moving to their now, you know, they own the world. Uh, but my next comfort films are the... The two film back to backness of Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah, that's a good. Um, uh, <laughs> this was so much that, like, on inauguration day, I had to watch Endgame because I felt so fucking triumphant that day. I'm like, you know what? The world's going to be okay. Let's watch Avengers. You know. <laughs> yeah, I I love I love both of those movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, the Marvel movies are a weird thing for me because I don't revisit them often. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I find that more as I've gotten older that I don't revisit movies quite as much as I did when I was younger. Uh, yeah, just because one, I have such a spread of things I haven't seen before that I want to mm-hmm. watch, and uh, well, there's so much out there too now, and know? we have again, like you were talking about, we have access to so much stuff now. It's like I almost feel like at times I get overwhelmed trying to figure out what I want to watch because there's so much stuff that I want to watch, and then it's like, which film do I throw on tonight? You know, type deal. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one of the reasons I give myself like theme months sometimes. Yeah, just to narrow the choices down. And I have tried, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I think you guys started doing it, uh, was, or Tom did, where he wanted to watch, you know, like a hundred movies that he'd never yep. seen. Uh, and I was like, you know, that's a really good idea because I fall into that. I, in, in the past, I've fallen into that trap of just watching the same movies I always watch type thing. Mm-hmm. And I do always watch a lot of newer films generally, but. I was like, you know, that's that will make me a little more conscientious 
about what I'm throwing on. If I want to get a hundred movies, mm-hmm. then I'm going to have to actively try to watch newer stuff. <laughs> so, oh yeah. So, I mean, I watch a lot of movies, not quite as many as you, but I do watch <laughs> a lot. Um, and last year, I think I ended up with like 130, I think for the year was mm-hmm. my first time views. And I got a little bit less than that the year before, but you know, and I, but I really enjoyed that because now I'm like, okay, I have a choice between these three films. One of them I haven't seen. I'll watch that one type yeah. thing. You know, I can always go back and rewatch these other ones. This one is currently available for God knows how long on whatever service. So let, I better watch it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something I tend to do a lot now, where I'll go to whatever service I'm on, and I'll check to see what movies are leaving. At the end of the month. Right. And then if something I want to watch is leaving, that's like, okay, well, now I have to watch it because otherwise I will miss it. And, you know, I, I'm the fucking original FOMO guy, you know. I don't want to ever miss out on anything. So. Right. And especially with, like, some of those films, you're like, oh, it will be back on whatever next month. And then it never pops back up again. And it's just gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So I, I've been. That that has definitely been a driving factor in my movie viewing over the last few years. That needs to be sometimes, you know. Uh, number two for me, and you're going to laugh at this one, because uh, this is right up there with, like, Beastmaster, is uh, 1987's The Barbarians, directed by... I knew by... you were going to fucking say that! <laughs> directed by <laughs> Ruggiero Diodaro, who I did not know... I never realized that this this movie was directed by the guy that directed Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. <laughs> never knew that until somebody pointed out and just never clicked in my head. My buddy Eugene. Man, those, those Italians put their fingers in everything, man. My buddy Eugene's like, yeah, that's because he'd never seen The Barbarians. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's directed by the guy that directed Cannibal Holocaust. And I'm like, holy can shit, you you're pause, right. Can I have you pause for a second? Yeah. I got a call coming in. I got to take. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, no problem. All right, hold on. All right, I'm back. All right. <laughs> just make sure my recorder's going again. Cool. Because it just split it into two files, which isn't a big deal. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I didn't, like I was saying, I didn't realize that that was the same dude. Like, I, I just never clicked in my head that that was <laughs> the same guy. Because he was asking me about it because he'd never seen the Barbarians. And th- then when he said that, I'm like, Dude, don't go in expecting cannibal holocaust levels of gore and violence. I was like, it's pretty violent, but it's not, yeah. it's not like that level gory crazy. It's, you know, pretty tame. I said it's like a hard PG 13. Mm-hmm. That sounds about accurate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's one of those I've seen once a long, long time ago. And all I pretty much remember about it is the two muscle bound twins, you know? Yeah. If you ask the plot, I'd be like, oh, I can't even remember the well, plot. Well, man, you know, plot's kind of secondary. Um, it's, uh, But it's one of those movies, like, I love this movie so much, and I have been waiting for it to come out on Blu-ray forever, other than paying, like, $800 for a German Blu-ray import. Um, when they announced that this was getting put out, I, like, immediately, like, that day was, like, pre-order. Reorder. Yeah. I will spend $30 on this because I love this movie, you know. Uh, 
It's not a great movie, and I realize that, but for me, it's one of those that's, like, endlessly watchable. It's Oh, yeah. It's kind of like a... It's kind of like a cheesier Conan the Barbarian, you know, uh, but it's just such a fun movie. And it's one that I, I used to rent this, like every time that I couldn't figure out what I wanted to rent at the video store, <laughs> this is what <laughs> I would rent. <laughs> yeah. This was one of the ones that I would pick, like when I couldn't figure out what I wanted to watch. It's like, oh, I, I don't know what I want. There's nothing I really feel. I'll rent the Barbarians, you know, type thing. So. Mm-hmm. That that's, that's why understandable. that's why that one is that's why this is so high up on my list of of films. <laughs> well, had the next one on my list not been remade as live action, the original um, it's not the it's not the same, but uh, for my number two is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, and had those not been made into live action, the original animated Hobbit would have been on there in its place. Which I just recently watched in the last six months. I watched all the original three yeah. animated movies together, which was yeah. which was pretty fun. I watched The Hobbit was one of those when I was a kid. If there was nothing else at the video store, that's what I grabbed. Yeah. You know. Uh, but The Lord of the Rings, when you, when you bring up like how Star Wars is your sick movie day, Lord of the Rings is mine. Yeah. Because, I mean... It's 10 hours worth of movies. Yep. And it doesn't matter if I fall asleep at any point. I will know exactly where I am when I wake back up. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Same way with me. And that's why it was on my list. It's again, which I didn't bring up because we skipped obviously ahead to you on this, but it was, if I don't watch Star Wars when I'm sick, I watch mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings when I'm sick. That's, you know, yeah. the other thing. Those two, those two franchises together are like my, my go-to sick day movies, you yeah. know, and I can watch them even when I'm not sick, but especially oh, yeah. when I'm sick, those movies are just, they are the ultimate definition of comfort food for me, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. No, uh, Philip Jackson, I'm Philip Jackson, geez. Peter Jackson did such. An amazing job with, with those three, at least. Yeah. That it's, yeah, it's like going home again every time I want to watch that. Yep. It's like I, everything is comfortable. It's, I know what's going to happen. I know exactly how I need to feel at each moment. And it's impossible not to get lost in just the scope of it. You uh-huh. know, it's one of those films where it's like, you don't even notice three hours just went by. And, you know, there's still moments in those films, even though I've seen them all dozens of times, like, that still hit me every time. Mm-hmm. Every friggin' time that they have oh, yeah. still hit me, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, without, without a doubt, you know. I can't watch Boromir defending Pippin and Mary without getting a little choked up. Because, it's you, know? A, you know, that's just... It's, it sums up the whole thing about redemption, you know? Yeah. It, it just, and then redemption and letting go are all summed up in that one scene so beautifully and oh, so yeah. violently, but, you know. It's motion picture perfection in almost every sense of the word, those three films. Mm-hmm. And anyone who says there's too many endings for the third one, I say, fuck you. Because every one of those endings is necessary, damn it. <laughs> well, you have to close the chapter on so many characters. You can't just... Because it, unlike, say, Star Wars, 
where mm. it's your core group, really. It's about that core yeah. group. So you can have your your celebration ending with basically those and you know the Ewoks yeah. playing the decapitated heads of the stormtroopers, which is pretty dark <laughs> if you think about it. Oh uh, yeah, they take trophies of their victims, man. Um, but you know, so but unlike Star Wars, the Lord of the Rings movies have, I mean, you're talking like twenty characters. It really, I mean. Yeah. Just outside of the fellowship, you've got so many sub characters that are vital to that story that mm-hmm. all play their part that need, you need to close the book on them. You can't just, well, we're just going to have something for the, for the fellowship and be done with it. It doesn't yeah. work that way. Yeah. Especially after you've been, you've been following these characters around for 10 hours. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. You're so you so you deserve as much closure as you can fucking get your hands on. Uh, exactly. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. That's, uh, that whole trilogy to me is, is almost completely perfect from start oh, yeah. to finish. That is, uh, as much as it pains me to say it, I think it's a better trilogy than Star Wars. <laughs> oh, I, I, I won't disagree with you on that. As far as but consistency again, it, of the films go. Yeah, well that, I mean, it had the advantage of filming all three movies at once. Yeah. You know, you've got, and you've got the material for all the movies. Whereas Lucas can say he had his shit planned all along. I don't 100% believe that. No, and I, th- um, I think some of that, I think some of that was changed on the fly. Yeah. Some major plot stuff was changed on the fly because it just, you know, you can go back and retcon some stuff through, you know, lore and series and different things now, but yeah, because it's have so Luke massive. And Leia be brother sister when that was not the intent when that first came out. I don't care what he fucking says. Yeah. Uh, if it was, there's some issues there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was your number two, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So my number one is not going to come to a shock to anybody who knows me at all, and that is Jaws. <laughs> it's my favorite movie of all time, hands down. I think it's a perfect movie. They're oh, you're not alone. Perfect movie, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, mm-hmm. everything from score to cinematography to the story to the acting is perfect. It's mm-hmm. flawless. Uh, you know. I hear some people nowadays bitch about the shark not looking awesome. That shark looks fucking amazing. I don't care what you're being nitpicky and bitchy because you're hating for the sake of hating as far as I'm concerned at that point, because it's the cool thing. Um, That's one of those movies. That is the movie that I go to like whenever I need to pick me up, whenever I need Mm -hmm. that familiarity and that comfort and just, no matter what mood I'm in, that is the movie. That is my, that's like the ultimate comfort food movie for me. Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah, I can't argue with a single point you made there. Um, while it's not necessarily a comfort film for me, I have its fucking poster in my living room. Right. Uh, I've got the, the special edition Blu-ray. Uh, you know, I've got the fucking Jaws journal of the, you know, fucking, the screenwriter kept while the making of the film when that was published. You know, yeah. I got the 40th uh, anniversary edition and I have watched the 
like 40 hours of special features on that multiple times. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Because it's um, just so fascinating to me, you know? Oh yeah, exactly. It's not, it, it's a movie that changed how movies were made. Um, that's what, <laughs> you know, for better or worse, that's what kind of killed the auteur cinema for a while. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden the studios went, holy shit, if we get these blockbuster movies every summer, we're going to make a ton of money. You know, and then Star Wars come along and just reinforces that. Right. And now all of a sudden, like, you know, the smaller independent, more independent films of the 70s that, you know, Coppola was doing and Lucas did with American Graffiti and, you know, all those other filmmakers of the 70s, Robert Altman and William Friedkin, they couldn't get their movies made anymore because studios wanted blockbusters. Yeah. Well, people and, people weren't into three and a half hour noirs <laughs> and, you know, uh, yeah. those slow burn, just kind of building everything up type films that you've got mm-hmm. so much in the late. You know, er, uh, late 60s and early 70s that were like mm-hmm. the staple of cinema. Mm-hmm. It kind of made genre cool. Oh, yeah. You know, it really yeah. did. It, it, it's what made genre cool because you think of, you think of Jaws. Didn't Jaws and Star Wars come out like within what a year of each other? 76, 77? Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, you, I, and I love the argument that happens every year where people are like, is Jaws a horror movie? Yes. And I'm like, if you don't think it is, put fucking (laughs) headphones in, play that soundtrack, and go take a swim in the ocean. You're going to look every three seconds. (laughs) That that movie, like, dude, I I was terrified to go swimming in Scudic Lake because of that movie because I thought a shark was going to eat me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My my mother had to assure me that lake sharks weren't a thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was – I have – that's one of those movies that is so ingrained into my subconscious that every time I go on the ocean fishing, which is like <laughs> once a year, and I'm standing on the back of a boat, I'm just waiting. You know? Oh, yeah. it's, just, it's one of those things. Like, And what's really creepy is the few times I have seen sharks come up near the boat, I just, like, that really... I. <laughs> I don't know if it's one of those stupid reaction things, but I just want to turn around and look at whoever my buddy is that's driving the boat and be like, come back here and chum some of this shit, you know, type oh, yeah. thing and fucking, we're going to, we're going to need a bigger who, boat. Exactly. Who doesn't want to utter that phrase, you know, who, and the crazy part too is like, that wasn't in the original script at all. Like that was fucking complete ad lib by Roy Schneider. And that it's so perfect. Well, and it's the same thing with the Captain Quint speech. That was Robert yep. Shaw, basically. Uh, you know, he he just kind of went off the rails on that thing, and it's it's amazing. Like he re, he rewrote the original the original speech. Yeah, like which is I never knew that till recently, and that's like I'm like holy shit. That is like one of to me one of the most powerful speeches in any film. Because oh, yeah. you can't help but just be like that utter silence of just being like, man, this guy saw some shit, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he plays it so well. But here's just women with bow-legged women. <laughs> Very well in a do in a fair space. Yeah, that movie is so fucking good. Um, and it, it should be no surprise to you that 
my number one is my number one favorite movie of all time, The Empire Strikes Back. Um, it was, I mean, we, we've already talked at nauseum about Star Wars, so I don't need to go over more and more about why it's just so fucking cool. Right. But the fact that it opens on a snow planet, and those of us living in Maine, it was like, fuck yeah, Maine is now Hoth. You know, whereas before you couldn't play Star Wars outside during the winter. Now you could. Right. You know, it, it brought your make-belief to a whole new level because you could fight a fucking Wampa outside anytime during January. And let's be honest, we all had one of those overly large, dark blue snowsuits as a kid. Uh, oh, yeah. So you could um, be Han. I, I vividly remember digging a tunnel in one of the big snowbanks behind my house. <laughs> yes, sir. And, and, like, getting on my back and trying to stick my feet up into a hole to get them stuck. <laughs> So I could rescue myself like Luke Skywalker. You know, I was probably minutes away from dying from the whole thing collapsing on me and suffocating me. Well, but, you, you know, know. <laughs> I was outside by myself. Who knew? I fell asleep in one of those one time for like two hours. Oh, kid, I, so. I'm sure I did too. Because <laughs> um, I was exhausted from digging a tunnel into a snowbank, you know. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, and then it was the first movie of this kind that didn't end on an everyone saves the day and everything is okay. No, it's a very bleak ending. That, as like, when that came out, like 81, that blew my mind. You know, that, wait a minute, did did the bad guys win? <laughs> Luke lost a hand, Hans in Carbonate, what the fuck is happening? You know? Yeah. No, uh, as, and as a young kid, that was the first time I'd ever been exposed to that type of story out of a, you know, other than like a fucking Aesop's fable. Right. And I think, I mean, and I'll, you know, I've always admitted Empire is the best of the original trilogy, but my favorite mm -hmm. is still Jedi because Jedi is the, you know, like I was saying earlier, Jedi for me was the film that I saw in the theater. It was the mm -hmm. one that I had to wait for. As a, oh, yeah. as a kid, you know, thinking back, like the other ones just kind of happened all of a sudden. I watched, yeah. I watched one and I liked it. And then all of a sudden my mom brought me home some Star Wars toys and mm -hmm. obsession happened. But that oh, was yeah. the first yeah. one that I had some toys and there was going to be a new movie, you know, so. <laughs> well, that was the other thing that made it a comfort film is I could read even when it wasn't on. Because, again, this wasn't, you know, until those VHSs became widely available, which took a while. Yeah. You only ever saw those when they came out or when they were on, like, t the TV one night a year. Yeah. So you had to redo that movie in your imagination with your action figures. You know? Yes, sir. <laughs> and I did that fucking endlessly. I mean, to this day, I don't collect Star Wars figures as much anymore because they're just too fucking expensive nowadays. Yeah. But, I mean, when I worked at the toy store, fuck yeah. Um, and I always, I either get Cantina Aliens from the first movie, Aliens from Jabba's Palace from the third movie, or pretty much anything from Empire. Yep. Like, those are my jam. Oh, definitely, man. So, that's, uh, I think that, that was fun. I'm glad you suggested this, because it's maybe some movies you wouldn't talk about so much normally. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine Eddie and the Cruisers would come up regularly. But. It, it might, for all, <laughs> you know, but, but the, it was, it was interesting to hear, like, how you, you know, what comfort movies and why those are your comfort movies. 
I would be curious, anybody that listens to this episode, name your top ten comfort movies. I want to hear, like, what mm-hmm. you guys' favorite comfort movies are. Like, what do those go to? Even if it's not your top ten, your top five. Yeah. Why? You and, know, it would be neat, and it would be neat to know why. Because I'm sure if you take somebody that's, like, ten years younger than us, it's going to be a whole different set of movies. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, that's been, honestly, one of my favorite things about doing the, the 90s movie blog is people like that I used to work with at the video store that I haven't talked to in a while would like Facebook message me and be like, Hey, remember when that came out? You know, this film came out or that film came out. And I'd be like, Holy shit. I forgot about that movie. Yeah. So I'm, you know, learning about movies that meant a lot to other people that I wouldn't have given a second thought to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's just, it's cool revisiting them, you know, especially with, you know, our, our modern eyes. So, yeah. uh, make sure you give everybody the proper address for this because I, I, I will vouch for Dan's blog is awesome. Dan. Uh, thank you. Dan is uh, a very eloquent writer and the way he can summarize his thoughts and put them down makes me feel stupid yet enlightened at the same time. So. Well, dude, it takes a lot of, dra- it takes a lot of drafts to do that. Um. Yeah, the website is www.hbo2frontrow.com. I will put um, that in the show one, notes. <laughs> cool. All one word. Um, as, as we've mentioned, it's just me talking about films that meant a lot to me back then in the 90s when I was just discovering movies, because it's right there in the fucking title of the website. Movies from HBO to when I worked at Front Row Video, which eventually became Movie Gallery, but it didn't didn't ring as well, HBO to Movie Gallery. No. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm um, And then just reassessing those movies with who I am now and realizing, you know, why um, next week's – because I didn't write one this week because so I've got a thing coming out today, which is like the top five African-American artists of the 90s. So I wanted to kick off Black History Month. Yeah. Um, but next week I'm going to be talking about uh, Boys in the Hood. And when that came out, that was just an unbelievable look into a world that those of us from Milo had never fucking seen. No. You know, we had we all had that one one black friend, Mike. Yeah. Um, and he was not from South Central. So we didn't know anything about the, the African-American experience in this world other than what we saw in the news, which was not always in the most flattering of lights. So at that time, that movie meant something because it was like, oh, shit, you know, I like Ice Cube. I like rap. You know, I'm I'm hip for a white kid from Milo. And now looking back at it, this is the thing, like, it often goes with me not even knowing what I'm going to be writing about until I start writing. Uh, but what ended up striking me the most about that film and what I take with it now is how important it is to have a father figure. Like my parents got divorced when I was 12 and I didn't see my dad for like six fucking years. And growing up, you think you're okay with that. And it's not until years later, you can kind of assess a lot of the damage that was done. And going back on that film, I'm like, what I wouldn't have given to have fucking Larry Fishburne as my dad at that point. You know? Before he was Florence. (laughs) Yeah. That film, 
you know, Cooper Cooding Jr.'s world is imploding. There's fucking violence on the street. There's fucking helicopters in the night. There's all this shit going on. And he's got a dad who is doing everything he can. I mean, I remember the lecture he gave, like, on the street corner about black-owned businesses. It's just like, holy shit, he was trying to teach his kids some shit. That's another one I I would be really interested to go back and watch, because I have not seen that in... Yeah, I I can't recommend going back and watching it enough, because Like, I remember that movie, that movie disturbed me, like, as a kid, like, really bad, and I didn't want to rewatch it, because it just bothered me. (laughs) Well, it did not have a happy ending, that's for sure. (laughs) You know, poor fucking Ricky. Or fucking Doughboy, and not when, um, and especially at that time, I wasn't used to those types of movies where, yeah, it didn't have the happy feel good ending because you know, and that was I remember that being such a tough movie to like yeah. just swallow, and, and it being so overwhelming because we weren't from that era, you know, we weren't from that area, yeah. we weren't from that life. It was, I remember yeah, it just I mean, being like, it was like, damn. Yeah, I could walk from my house on the outskirts of Milo to fucking Derby, and I wouldn't have a goddamn problem. Nope. You know, and that would take me a couple hours, whereas this this neighborhood, holy shit, they, those kids walk down the railroad tracks and almost get fucking their football stolen and a bunch of other guys. And, you no, know, the, worst it was case, just a, <laughs> the worst case that would have happened, the worst case that would have happened for us is the cops would have picked us up and given us a ride. Yeah, and they sure as fuck wouldn't have frisked us or called us little names. No, no, you know. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> we wouldn't have had to fear for our fucking lives. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that just being kind of like a, like I said, it's been a long time since I've rewatched it because I remember that being such like a, a just a visceral gut punch to me mm-hmm. at that time because I wasn't. What year was that? 95? 91. 91. 91, really? Wow. Yep. I don't think I saw it until like 92, 93, maybe. Oh, yeah. Most, yeah. I, we definitely didn't see it until like 92, at least, when it would come out on video. Yeah, and I, I remember I I watched it with somebody, and that was the only time I watched it. It might have been like Andrew and Joey Purdue or somebody that <laughs> I watched it with. Because I do remember, I remember uh, watching like that New Jack City or something right about the Which same time. Which also came out in 91. I was going to say, I watched those both about the same time because I remember yep. that was like a double feature thing we watched at that time. Oh, hell so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't think I've, I, I don't think I've seen either one of those since. <laughs> so. Go but, back, man. Go back and check them out again. Well, actually, um, you'll have a good chance to possibly win them because one of the things I'm doing this month is anyone who links to my site or comments on the site or comments on Facebook about the site type of thing yeah. uh, is going to get entered into a drawing where I'm going to be giving away a copy of the three films I'm talking about this month, which will be Boys in the Hood, New Jack City, and Malcolm X. Well, that so. was kind of random that I brought those up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they came out in 90, 91, 91, and 92, and, you know, those were the three films that, like, taught me about the black experience as a young man. You Speaking know? of Black History Month, um, if any of you guys shop at Bull Moose, for $20, they have the a, the uh, seven-film Spike Lee collection oh. on, on DVD, I believe. Um, 
I think it's, I don't know if it's on Blu-ray, but I know it's on DVD, but there's uh, seven films in there for $20. Yeah, he's actually, in the post that I'm posting today, I'm talking a lot about him. Because that motherfucker put out a film every year of the 90s. And I think it and might. And they were all good. And I think it might be the first seven films. Well, I'll tell you what. Through the magic of technology, I will tell you what is on there. Uh, the magic Google machines. And Bull Moose is right in my list of things <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, movies and TV. Featured DVDs. It should pop right up. Uh, I'm going to type in Spike Lee real quick. Because I think <laughs> it's called... Go. It's called Spike Lee Joints, if I remember right. No, well, all he calls all his movie a Spike Lee Joint, so right. that wouldn't be surprising. Yes, yeah, it comes up. Um, seven Joints Collection. So it's got Do the Right Thing, Mo Better Blues, Jungle Fever, Crooklyn, Clockers, Inside Man, and Black Klansman. Are the seven. It's films a good collection. Seven That's films. A good right. collection. And it's twenty dollars. Uh, for yeah. those of you who don't have a bull moose in the area. Go to bullmoosemusic.com. You can order $20. Yeah, and their their, their uh, delivery is actually really good, because especially at the beginning of the pandemic when you couldn't go to a store, I oh, did a yeah. lot of ordering from Bull Moose online because Me again, too. they, <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic, they paid their employees while they were shut down. Yeah. Which, to me, I was like, I'm going to keep giving you all my fucking money because that's an amazing thing to do. Mm-hmm. So they're not, they don't just have all kinds of cool shit. They're actually like a really good company to root for. Yeah, 100%. I will pay a little extra sometimes to buy stuff there that I could get cheaper online. Oh, hell yeah. Just because I, you know, I like to support that place. It's always been like, (laughs) that's like my, that's like my go-to place under normal circumstances. I spend a lot of time in that store. How often do we run into each other in there exactly. randomly? You know, it's yeah. like <laughs> yeah. it's it's my it's my go to shopping outlet. I mean, the things I love most in this world are movies, books, and music, and it's all right there. And you got Funko Pops and stuff too, yep. you know, and cool stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So anyway, dude, this was a lot of fun. It was an interesting subject to talk about. Kind Good of fun. way to spend a snow day. Yeah, exactly. I said I was kind of hoping we could do this one in person, but. You know, at least we got to do it, and it's a perfect day to to sit down and do that. And we got to get wrapping up because I need to go snowblowing. That's probably going to take me an hour and a half. And then, yeah, do it before it gets dark, man. Yeah, man. So, uh, thank you everybody for listening. I'm TJ. With me was Dan, and I will see you, sexy animals, on the flip side.